0: Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. Fasting and prayer linked together are essential for a, a Christian's walk. Christ fasted and prayed, and He would encourage us to fast and pray. Now, just to kind of, I give you a little bullet point on fasting and prayer. Most of us know prayer is how we connect with God, right? We talk with Him and we listen. you got one mouth, two ears, probably listen twice as much as you talk when you pray, or at least you have an opportunity to. And so, prayer is connection, that's how we connect with God. Fasting is how we disconnect from ourselves, our world, our agenda, all the pressures that keep us from God. Fasting is a way to put that on hold. Just stop. It has to do, especially with eating and drinking, right? Because one of the best ways to put yourself On hold is to tell your body, nope, (laughs) you don't get to eat that. Nope, you don't get to drink that. But it's far more than that. Fasting is abstaining from those things which distract you from God, whatever they might be. I would say, you know, we talk about fasting, food, and drink, and all this kind of stuff. I'm not going to get too much into fasting this morning. But I know that one of the fasts that probably profits me more than anything is a social media fast, a cell phone fast, just to turn the phone off and just just set it down. You know, there might be times that you're trying to get a hold of me, and it's like, why isn't Mike answering his phone? Because <laughs> I turned you off. <laughs> 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 I turned it all off because I need God. I I need uninterrupted time with the Lord. And do you not know that as soon as you purpose to get in your devotions, to pray, what happens? The phone rings. Shut it off. So, fasting and prayer, positive, beneficial, absolutely essential. (laughs) Jesus didn't live without it. But here's the question, why do the disciples of John the Baptist fast often? And remember, John was the Old Testament prophet, right? He did everything according to the Word of God, according to the law of Moses. Why do the disciples of John fast often? And it says, and make prayers, and likewise those of the Pharisees, those followers of the Pharisees, those who are separated out from society, okay? They were kind of like monks in a monastery, if you will, in one sense, as they they really didn't have a lot to do with people out in public, right? Even if they'd go into the marketplace, they'd be very careful that their robes wouldn't touch anybody, and they would become defiled. And they they really kept to themselves. They were a, a sect of Uh, separatists, if you will, Um, and then their followers. They would fast often. in fact, in Jesus' day, it was known that they would always, Monday and Thursday were fasting days, according to their calendar. So every Monday, every Thursday, you can be sure that if they're a Pharisee or a follower of Pharisees or those followers of John the Baptist, that they had not had anything to drink that day, probably had not had their coffee that morning. You know, and in, even Jesus talks about that. Man, when you fast and pray, don't let the world know. You know, wash your face, put a smile on your face and go around and, um, you know, don't go around all sallow and everybody goes, oh, look how holy that Pharisee is. Boy, he must really be just, just beating the snot out of himself. Looks like he hasn't eaten and, you know, this is not what the fast is all about. And, but they ask, why don't your disciples do that, right? Here you are hanging out with sinners, <laughs> Tax collectors, right? The lowest of the low, prostitutes we'll see. We'll see uh, drunks and, and, and just the common man, fishermen, stinky fishermen, and whatnot. They said to him, why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise those of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink? You're, you're, you're kind of tipping the apple cart here. Okay, don't you know in society, in religious society, you claim to be a a rabbi, a teacher, a leader. You claim to know the word of God. If you know the word of God, why aren't you doing it? Basically, is their accusation? I love how Jesus answers because he almost never actually answers the question directly. He answers the heart of the questioner. Because he knows what's going on in their heart. He knows what they're really all about. So he brings it to them. He said to them, can you make friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? Now, in Jesus' day, that would be a really easy answer because it was known, according to the uh, scroll of um, fasting, according to the Jewish Talmud, according to the teachings of the rabbis, it was well known that fasting is not to be done during times of feasting. Now, that seems too simple, right? Okay? This is a time that's supposed to be joyful. It's rejoicing. It's praising. It's lifting up our hearts and giving praise to the Lord, and this time is for that. And of all the times in Jesus' society, in Jewish society in those days, there was nothing more joyful and more fun than a wedding and the celebration of the wedding. Typically, they went on for about seven days, okay? And there was the the vows and everything that began at the beginning, but then a party ensued, and the food and the drink flowed, and while the Bible has all kinds of um, warnings against drunkenness, it was also a time to really enjoy all the blessings and to stop all the work that was going on and... Even in regards of a Sabbath day, if you're married or you're invited to the wedding party and you're there celebrating with that couple, again, it can go on for quite a few days and it's no doubt going to fall over into the Sabbath day, okay? And we've got a problem here. Why don't yours feast or why don't yours fast? And Jesus says, can is it even possible that we would have a wedding? Can you? Okay, let me ask you this. How many of you guys have ever been to a wedding? Have you ever been to a wedding where the reception was no food, no beverages, we just sat in the corner and we prayed for an hour? Maybe we could start a trend. That would be a new wedding reception. No food, no drink. We'll just get real quiet and pray. Does that sound like a wedding to you? The answer is obviously not, okay? We're here to celebrate. And in this, he intimates that he is the bridegroom, okay? Which makes those who are his attendants, his followers, his disciples, his bride. We know that we are the bride of Christ, and he is our groomsman. Okay. And so this is the example Jesus is laying for him, but he kind of stops them right there. You know the law. This is why we don't fast often. It doesn't say never fast. It's just we don't fast every Monday, every Tuesday, every time we see you know, something going on. We're not like John. We're not like the Pharisees. We're with the bridegroom. This is like a wedding celebration, and every day that we get to be with Jesus is another day to celebrate and rejoice. Hallelujah. That's the whole picture. So, can you make friends of the bridegroom and fast while the bridegroom is with them? Obvious a- answer is no. It doesn't work that wa- way. Verse 35, but the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, then they will fast in those days. It's a little bit of a, a hint, of a sneak preview of coming attractions, if you will, right? A little spoiler alert that there's going to come a day in Their real time, in the time of Jesus and these disciples and these Pharisees, is going to come a day when the bridegroom is taken away. And we know that to be. Jesus is telling us that he's going to be taken away. And we know he's going to be crucified, right? And he's going to ascend. He'll be with his Father in heaven. And it's during those times when he's not there present with us, as in the wedding celebration, there are going to be plenty of opportunities for fasting, disconnecting from yourself, disconnecting from the world, and prayer, connecting with God, because we're trying to get that relationship strong. When I got him right in the room, I'm good, but when he's not here, man, I really need to fall back on prayer and fasting. So that's the dynamic that's going on here. Um, um, And then he goes on to illustrate it even better, and I love these parables. You know, a parable, parabole in Greek, means to Cast um, alongside, okay, para alongside and bole is like throwing a ball. But the idea of a parable is I'm gonna tell you a story, but the story's not about the story. The story's about the world that we live in, and you're trying to figure out from the story I tell you how does it fit the world that we live in. Because Jesus is trying to tell us heavenly truths. But well, we got puny earth-bound brains. And we can't really understand heavenly things, but he can tell us an illustration of things we understand on earth and go, oh, that's what it's like in heaven, right? So he tells parables. Here he tells a parable. He spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one, otherwise the new makes a tear, and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. Do you follow that? How many of you guys patch holes in your clothes raise your hand a couple i mean when i was a kid i got a pair of jeans or two pair of jeans or whatever kind of clothes that i you know back to school a lot of you probably did that just this last month back to school shopping but those had to last until probably when school was out It's kind of funny because by the time school was out, they became shorts, right? You you were growing so much. But one of the things is as a boy out playing, you're constantly putting holes in the knees of your pants. So my mom would always have to patch my jeans, and she would do the iron-on patch generally, right? Um, But but this is the concept of taking, you've got a hole, you've got to patch it. Where are you going to get the fabric for that? Well, you're going to, you know, You're not going to cut up this part of the garment to put a patch on that garment of the garment. Then you got another hole, right? So you got to get new cloth. And the challenge with sewing new cloth onto an old piece of cloth is the old piece has already been laundered, and it's shrunk, right? Because that's what happens over time. Fabric shrinks. Then you go ahead and you put a new piece on that old one, but what happens when you launder it? The old one doesn't shrink anymore. It's already shrunk. But the new one shrinks, and it tears away from the new. And what you end up with is a a, a mangled garment, you know? And this is what Jesus is trying to say here, okay? That no one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one, otherwise the new makes a tear. Also, the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. So, we get the idea, okay? I understand what he's talking about with cloth and shrinking and tearing and all of that. What's that got to do with heaven? What's that got to do with a wedding? What's that got to do with your disciples? What's that got to do with eating and drinking and having fun? Why aren't you like us? Why don't you do things our way? Jesus basically saying, I'm bringing you a new way. It's a completely different way. It's a different piece of cloth. I'm not here to reform Judaism. I'm not here to get Judaism back on the rails. Jesus would say, I came to, f- not, well, let me read it out of Matthew chapter 5 at verse 7. Do not think I came to destroy the law and the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law until all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. They're accusing Jesus and his disciples of breaking the law, one of the commandments. Okay, and he says, I'm not doing that. I'm not breaking the law. He says in verse 20 of Matthew 5, for I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. I can't fix this hole by patching it with a Pharisee or pharisaical values or traditions or regulations. As the Pharisees would go along, there's a, a, a book that Jews hold in high regard called the Talmud. The Talmud are the teachings, the studying and teachings of the law, and it really came full-blown about the 4th century uh, A.D., but it's a collection of interpretations of the law. So, the rabbis, especially the most esteemed ones, would go and they'd read a passage and then they would give the interpretation. Basically, the Talmud is Commentary on the Old Testament, the Hebrew portion of the Bible. And they would fill it up with this law says, for example, fast, but then they would start adding bits and pieces to it till you could barely recognize it for what it really was. God talked about that. In the book of Isaiah, in chapter 58, He, he tells us about, you know, this, this problem of of the way the Jews went about fasting. In Isaiah 58, I'll pick up at verse 4, it says, Indeed, you fast for strife and debate, and to strike with the fist of wickedness. Your your fasting isn't hitting the target, it's just hitting other people. It's proud, it's arrogant, it's self-serving. You will not fast as you do this today to make your voice heard on high. You think that I'm listening when I see all the wickedness that your fasting is all about? Self-pride? Verse 5, God says, is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is that why I picked the fast? Because I really want to see you afflicted. <laughs> yeah, get them. That makes me feel better now that those silly little people are just, you know, getting a little bit taste of their own medicine. Good for them. Does that sound like God to you? No, that's not why God brought us a fast. It says, is it it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Is that why I gave you fasting? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? (laughs) No. It goes on to say in Isaiah 58 verse 6, and this is God speaking, is this not the fast that I have chosen? This is a true fast, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Isn't that what a true fast would be? Self denial. You see somebody in need, share with them, cover them, feed them, help them, bring them in, make them welcome. That's real fasting. It's not about you. Deny yourself. Take up your cross, follow Jesus, think of others before yourself. It says in verse 8 of Isaiah 58, Then your light shall break forth like the morning, and your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. And this is Jesus Christ. He's there in the midst of them. They're hungry. He's the bread of life. They're in darkness. He's the light of the world. They are scattered He is the good shepherd. He is the true fast. He is the true fulfillment of the law. Not a lawbreaker. But see, they missed all of that because they worship the law, not the law giver. Right? And we have to be careful for that, church. It's real easy to look at the text black and white. It's the letter of the law. I read it. Thou shall. Thou shall not. In fact, you can go through the scriptures and you can find 365 thou shalls do this and 248 thou shall nots. Don't do this. 316 laws just to keep you in the center lane. And just trying to do that alone is enough to frustrate the snot out of all of us you may know people who are bound into some type of legalistic religious <sighs> whatever group thou shall thou shall not thou shall thou shall not and if you do all the if you do and don't do all that you're supposed to do and don't do somehow that's going to get you to heaven it's 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 a religion of works, and it's so frustrating because the bottom line is none of us know all the, whenever I do this, I don't do that. Whenever I do this, I don't do that, right? Paul himself writes in the book of Romans, oh, wretched man that I am. (laughs) This is Paul, rabbi of rabbis, right? He's like one of the most brilliant minds that ever walked the earth, the lawyer of all lawyers of Jewish religion, and even he himself. Could not do it. And this is what the problem is. Because they're not seeing the law giver. They don't have the heart of the law. The letter kills. Every time. This is what the law does. It shows us we're sinners. Paul would even write in Romans chapter 7, if it wasn't for the law, I wouldn't even know that I was covetousness covetous. But then I read in the law and I, and, and I realized, wow, I'm a sinner too. The law points out you are going more than 25 miles an hour. You are now a violator of the law, a sinner, right? And so that's what the law does. But the law is perfect. The law is good and pure and clean. We were talking about this on Wednesday night. We were in the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20. And there's nothing wrong with the law. It's like a tutor, Paul would say in the book of Galatians, that brings us to Christ. It shows us that we are completely unable in our own power to get to heaven, even if we keep all the laws. He says if you transgress one, you're guilty of them all. And all of us have transgressed, probably all of them. You take the Ten Commandments, we've blown every single one of them, right? And yet, as we were sharing on Wednesday night, One of the things about this Ten Commandments, it's really just like the Bill of Rights, right, to our Constitution. It's really God giving the nation or Republic of Israel their Constitution. And the first, it starts off with the Bill of Rights, Ten Rights, if you will, right thinking and right behavior. If you do these things right... You'll be in my good graces. But what we miss so much is that these commandments, these laws, if you look them all out, the the Scriptures say the law of God is pure. It's perfect. It's clean. It's a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. It, it's, it's holy. It's wonderful because what it really is, have you ever had a um, paint by number? Anybody ever do one of those? It's been a long time since I've done one, but when I was a kid, I used to love doing those, right? And you get this outline on a piece of paper. Pi- you know paper or whatever and you really can't quite figure out what the thing is but you've got number 17 it's all brown so you get find all the 17s and brown then you go and you find the 11s and they're all green and different colors and all that but when you get done bam the picture's there and it's obvious what it was and actually if you will take your little kit and faithfully keep inside those lines and color it in you it comes out really nice looking it's amazing and this is what the law actually is it's actually a picture of God and when we see thou shall not murder you know why the Bible says thou shall not murder you know why you should not murder because it's a picture of God is God a murderer no so if God's not a murderer you shouldn't be a murderer there you go it's a piece of your picture thou shall not lie why not because it's in the Bible because it's a commandment? Wrong answer. The answer is because it's a picture of God. Is God a liar? Then we shouldn't lie. Thou shalt not steal. (laughs) You go down the list. The law is a picture of God. And as we paint in that picture in the spirit, the letter kills, but the law gives life. When you add the color to the picture, what comes out is Jesus Christ, right? And this is what the Pharisees these religious separatists in looking at the law they miss the lawgiver who's standing right in front of them right and so it's kind of interesting that way and oh i might be lucky if i just finish these two parables today okay <laughs> verse 37 And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. So here's the picture, right? They used to keep wine in bladders, leather type bladders, wineskins, right? Kind of like in my generation we called them boda bags. It's a little bit like what are these camelbacks, right? Or something like that. But um, the idea is wine, okay? You don't put new wine, freshly minted, freshly produced wine into an old wine skin. The nature of a wine skin is that the leather over time becomes hard. It's not as pliable or elastic. And the The issue with wine is that it tends to expand and swell as it ferments. So, you take this new juice of the grape, if you will, and pour it into this old wineskin that can't expand, but the expansion of the wine inside does what? It bursts the bag, and it ruins the bag, and it spills the wine. And so, everybody knows, yeah, that's not a good value. We know that, pretty obvious, right? So, Jesus uses this, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Again, he's saying, I have come to fulfill the law. I am not trying to reform Judaism. I'm giving you a whole new deal, okay? Uh, many of you are familiar with um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. I should have marked it here for me. Somebody say it out loud real quick while I'm looking for it. Yep. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And this is what Jesus is trying to help the Pharisees, the Jews of his day, understand is that something new is happening. we got something here that's not like the old stuff, the old patch, the old wineskin. We've got new wine. I'm bringing something that is full of life and vitality, but it can't be contained in your old religion, in your old system. I shared last week what Kelly used to say, or still says, right? The only thing you have to change when you come to Jesus is absolutely everything, absolutely everything. Now, a lot of people might hear that and go, oh, I knew you were going to say that. Now you want me to change everything about my life. Well, there's really a, a shortcut. All you have to do is make Jesus your Lord. Lord means master, ruler. And if Jesus is Lord of all, that means everything's new. It's under new ownership, new management, okay? And so that's a shortcut to making everything new in your life. You got a new manager, now you do what your manager says. You do what the ruler says, what the Lord says. And so this is what the idea of new wine has to go in new wineskins. There's got to be room for that to expand and grow because what's going to happen as you receive Jesus in your life is you're going to get life and that more abundantly, He just keeps pouring it in. The Holy Ghost just keeps filling you up. And every time you come to the Lord, man, you get new revelations from the Lord, hugs and, you know, just uh, God does things in your life. You get together with people in church. You hear about what happened with you and what happened with you. And all of a sudden, my life just gets big and bright and grows. We can't fit that in the old religious system. And that's basically what is happening here. He's trying to school these Pharisees. Remember, The power to heal was available to them when they brought the paralytic, but they were so hung up on the rules that they completely missed the ruler right in front of them. Verse 1 of chapter 6, I'm going to try to go just a touch further. Maybe I should stop. How many minutes are I? It wouldn't hurt if we stopped right here. We've got an agape feast coming up after this. I want to make sure you get plenty of time to make friends and uh, share a meal. You know, agape feast, one of the best things about them is an opportunity to get to know each other. I'm, I'm going to stop right there for today. We'll pick up tomorrow. And as you, I'm sure our, you know, if you haven't figured this out by now, uh, the news we got this morning is kind of, It's affecting me. I know it's affecting a lot of you. And yet, in all of what we're doing here, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, it's my greatest joy to know that Levi is with the Lord. Amen? Right? Amanda needs our prayers. Thank goodness the baby's okay. Uh, But in all of these things, we have to recognize that As you get news like that, especially of a brother or a sister in the Lord, somebody who has dedicated themselves to Jesus Christ, and then something terrible happens to them, you you do know. It's just another opportunity to bring God to bear on your heart. And at the end of the day, recognize that nothing happens that catches God off guard. He knows it all we're the ones that get caught off guard. And if we want to get back on track, what do we need to do? Put our eyes on the Lord. He's the Lord of all. He's the Lord of the good. He's the Lord of the bad. He's not not the Lord not that he causes it, but he's Lord. He's he's in control over all of our circumstances in life. And not that that makes everything better or that you know, Bad things are, are bad things. Painful things are painful things. But to those who love God, He can work them all together for His good purposes. And while these are things that are hard to sometimes understand in the moment, it's a reality. As we live them out and we walk them out, we know God's at work. Waymaker, right? Miracle worker. He's, even when I don't see it, he's working. Even when I don't feel it, he's working. I don't know what's happening, God, but I know God. I know God is good. I know God will never leave me or forsake me. God is doing a work in my heart. So as we end in worship, just in prayer, just stop and think about all the things that God has done, all the things that you are grateful for. Throw up a prayer for Amanda and, and, and the baby and, and what's going forward. But use it as an opportunity, a springboard to come into his presence. And I love it. If you read the Psalms, I mean, do you, anybody read the Psalms? <laughs> right? You read the Psalms and you get into it and you're like, man, a lot of these are dark. A lot of these are heavy, real heavy. And yet every one of them watch because there's a verse where it flips. But God but God, I don't know, but I know God. (laughs) Let's go ahead and close in prayer and uh, we'll enjoy some fellowship after this. Father God, we do again lift up in our prayers. Amanda, the baby, we thank you so much for Levi. We pray that we can live a life Worthy of the calling. We can look to saints like the Woodhouses and use that to encourage us just to do a little more. Step out when I'm uncomfortable for your glory. Help us, Lord, to be more like you. Help us, Lord, to rejoice with those who were rejoicing. And mourn with those who are mourning help us to know that with every breath that you give us we have another opportunity to declare your praises to the world help us to be faithful in that we pray in jesus name amen amen thanks for joining us today to learn more about the springs calvary chapel please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at The Springs in Hayburn, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.